John 14, Psalm 91, Romans 1. And again, we would love for you to join us directly after service right over at Aquacrest Pool. We're going to start John 14, verse 7. And it reads like this. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these. Listen to this, church. In greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. The next verses are going to be the crux of our study today. Verse 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you do ask anything in my name, I will do it. And Father, again, through a lot of misunderstanding in, in these teachings sometimes, God, we form lesser ideas that blind us from seeing the truth of your beauty. And that's what we want today. We want your Holy Spirit to make this clear. Make this clear to your church today, God. And let us see that the power of prayer is so much greater than, than so much of the teachings that are out there today. Thank you for the clarity that your scripture brings and your spirit brings when your children are gathered in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the 1960s, I was not born yet, quite honestly, but there was a television show that came on, and I saw it in rerun. Okay, the show, how many of you heard of the show, I Dream of Jeannie? All right. If you've heard of the show, I Dream of Jeannie, that show to me kind of formed like part of my childhood. The, the laughter of that show, the comedy of that show, the humor was something that resonated with me. Uh, the United States Air Force Captain Major Nelson, remember Major Nelson? Major Tony Nelson? All right, well, when he's coming back in from a trip, he, uh, he, meets his, he misses his rendezvous point and ends up in an island in the South Pacific. All right, on this island in the South Pacific, he finds this bottle. And when he opens the top of the bottle and he rubs the side of the bottle, well, out pops Jeannie. Jeannie? Jeannie comes out of the bottle. And when Jeannie comes out of the bottle, well, whatever Major Nelson's wishes is her command. And as a kid, I don't know about you, but that's kind of cool. The thought of having somebody pop out of, out of a bottle and just being able to do one of these things... And then the little boing thing. I never know why they use the boing there for the, so for the sound effect, but they use the boing. And basically whatever he wanted and a lot of stuff he didn't want, he got. 
Now, when we think of the idea of a genie, we think of, well, three wishes, but Major Nelson got much more than that. Dude, he's living in a house in Cocoa Beach, right? He's an astronaut, and he, get, he has this really cool job, and now he's got a genie that will grant every wish. Now, here's the thing. When we think of this, it's a really cool idea as a kid to be able to ask our genie for anything we want. That's a great wish as a kid. But as an adult, perhaps, maybe we would think of the reality of that because what we wish for would reveal a lot about our person and it would, real, uh, real, it would reveal a lot about our priorities, right? The things that you wish for. That's one of the reasons that the Bible, and this is not a message on money, but it's one of the reasons that the Bible talks about money more than any singular subject because the way you spend your treasure reveals the state of your heart. Well, so too, if you had these wishes and they could come true. Some of you would wish, you would say, you know what? I wish I would get a promotion at work and it would show us where your priorities are. Some of you would say, you know what? I wish I would never work again. Some of you would say, you know what? I really want God to fix this relationship. But there are some of you in the room that might say that the person that you're in a relationship with, then maybe you wish that they would like, disappear. <laughs> so we have these desires and these desires reveal our person and they reveal our priorities. And that's why this passage is so important, because Jesus is working himself to an idea that says, listen, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And a lot of people will take that scripture, and they'll say, well, if I ask it in Jesus' name, it should just happen. If I ask it in Jesus' name, then, you know, the Bible says it, and the TV preachers, well, they say it a lot, that if I ask anything in Jesus' name, but what's happened is this, is that the world has kind of changed the way that we read the Word because we have to read the Word in context. And what happens is this, is that the Word is supposed to change the way we see the world. That's the difference, okay? So often the world changes the way we read the Word. And so we'll read a passage like this, and as soon as we say, whatever you ask in my name that I will do, we want to zone in on that. We want to highlight it. We want to underline it, and we want to claim it. All right, Jesus, I want a Maserati. All right, you said ask in your name. I'm asking in the name of Jesus for a Maserati. All right. So what happens is, is that it starts to color our understanding of Scripture. When we let the desires of this earth influence our understanding of the things of heaven right now in your hands what you have is a book this book is from heaven it's for you it helps us understand the reality of who God is because he's been so misrepresented in our culture and because of that some of these teachings are misrepresented so this is really really important today because I don't know about you I could use the power of prayer in my life I could use God to unleash the power of prayer in my life could you use that today and the reason we don't unleash the power of prayer is because a lot of the times we don't realize the purpose of prayer. C.S. Lewis once said that prayer does not change God, it changes us. It doesn't change God, but it's a vehicle that God uses to draw us into dependency and relationship and communication and all of these so very important things. So today we go back to the Word of God and we're going to take a look at about, about six points today as we look at this passage, that are going to help us understand how to unleash the power of prayer in our life. All right, so that's what today is about. It's about unleashing the power of prayer. So let's take a look. Let's go back from the beginning. Chapter 14, verse 7. 
where Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And he's talking to his disciples. Now, this is right after telling them, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And now he's going on to explain, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Jesus is straightening this out so that they can understand why he's here. Jesus came to this world to save us, yes, but he also came so that we could understand the person of God. You can take a look out of creation, and you can take a look and, and see that there is intelligent design. You'll give me that, won't you? You'll give me that there's intelligent design. And if you won't give me that there's intelligent design, I do a simple thing with our youth that I'll just tell you about where we take like a, an eight-set Lego, Right? And I put it right in front of them and I say, okay, how long would it take for this set to assemble itself into something meaningful? And the answer is it would never happen unless an outside force acts on it, right? And so what we have here is this God that wants to reveal himself to us. His desire is to reveal himself to us. And so Jesus comes and we say, well, you know, it's a hard thing for me to understand who God is. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to make this easy for you, disciples. I'm going to make this easy for you because if you're looking at me, you understand the Father. What? Do you know what a crazy, insane truth that is? That Jesus came to this earth so that when we looked at him, we could understand something about the character of God that maybe eluded us before. And you would say, well, that would be so easy for the disciples. That would be so easy for them. If I could just walk with Jesus, if I could just see him walk on the water, if I could just see him heal the multitudes, if I could see these things that the disciples saw, well, here's what you have in front of you. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They tell you about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Also, he can say to the disciples at this moment, who've already said, you know, we know you. Peter said, we know that you're the Messiah. We know that you're the son of the living God. Peter admitted that, but they didn't understand the implications. And Jesus said, you know what? Here's the thing. When you look at me, I want you to understand. And so Philip says to him in verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Wait a second. I just told you that if you looked at me, you would see the Father. And so Philip is again kind of doubting, and Jesus said, listen, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, and he makes the point, he reiterates the point, he highlights the point, and he tells them again. They have to acknowledge the Father and the Son. And that's the first thing. If you want to unleash the power of prayer in your life, the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge God for who he is. We have to acknowledge him for who he is. There's a problem with that. Because if, you, if, if as the Bible teaches, there is a Satan, and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, then the thing that he wants to do is he wants to convince you that there is no God, when even he admits that God is God. Even the demons say that he's God. Even the demons say that he's God. But I want to show you something real quick. So keep your place in John. Go to Romans 1. I want to tell you how the enemy works a little bit here. Romans 1, verse 18. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, there's no excuse to be able to look at creation and say there is no God. There's so much evidence for God in creation, but he goes on to say, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Some translations say this, they didn't acknowledge him as God. If the enemy can get us to, to say that that's not God, that's his goal. The enemy's goal is to convince us that God isn't there, that God doesn't care, or that God doesn't care for you. That's the enemy's goal, to get us to acknowledge that there's no God. And so it's very important when we see in the Old Testament, some of these guys pray, like Daniel and Nehemiah. When we see them pray, they say, oh, Lord God, great Father of heaven and of earth. When they acknowledge him, they acknowledge the God of heaven, even in the prayer that you're familiar with in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches them to pray. What does he say? The beginning of the prayer says this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be be thy name. What's the first thing that Jesus is doing? He's acknowledging. We have to acknowledge that he's a father that loves us. That's the first thing. We want to acknowledge him as a father that loves us. Before I start speaking to him, before I start going to him with, with my requests, I got to acknowledge that this is a dad that loves me very much. But not only is he a father that loves me, he's also in heaven, so he's so far above me. He's so big. He's so immense. He's so massive. Our father who art in heaven and then he says, hallowed be thy name. That's a part a lot of people like to forget about, isn't it? Hallowed be thy name. Who teaches us to say that? Jesus. So do you see what we have there in the very beginning of the prayer? Our Father, that's the person who art in heaven. That's the place. Hallowed be thy name. That's the perfection. And so we have to acknowledge him. Why? Because when I begin to acknowledge him in my prayers, my problems all of a sudden are put in perspective. That's the whole reason we teach the Acts model of prayer in the church, that it starts out with acknowledgement and adoration, putting God in perspective. Why? Because when I'm reading this word, I realize that Jesus can walk on the water. I realize that if there's a storm in my life, all he has to do is say, peace be still. I realize he can shut the mouth of lions and that he defeats giants. I can see all of that in Scripture when I acknowledge him for who he is. So the very first thing if we want to do, if we want to unleash the power of prayer in our lives, the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge him for who he is. That's why studying the person of Jesus is so important. If you're just getting into the Bible right now, I suggest that you get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Study the Gospels. Get to know the person of Jesus. Watch how he interacts with people. Watch what he says. Watch what he does. And as you're doing that, what's happening is you're acknowledging God. Before there was Pastor John, there was wannabe actor John. And wannabe actor John, oh boy, what a disaster that was. But there was wannabe actor John, and, but the thing that I loved about acting was this. It would give you the opportunity to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Study that person. That's what the great actors do. If they're going to play a real-life character, if they're going to play a real-life character, what they do is they spend time with them. They get to know them, how they pick up their spoon, how they lay their head on a pillow, what they do, what they like. And if you want to get to know God, all you have to do is an in-depth character study by looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you'll be able to acknowledge God for who he is, the fact that he is mighty, the fact that he is massive, the fact that he loves you, and that he forgives you, and that he will meet you where you're at. 
So that's the first thing that we do is we acknowledge God. But it's not just good enough to acknowledge God, right? We also kind of need access to God. It's not just good enough to acknowledge him. Even the demons do that, the Bible tells us, right? They acknowledge, they acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. But it's accessing God the Father through the Son, what he makes possible. When the disciples were there, how many of you wish you could have just walked with Jesus for one day, one hour of what the disciples got for three years? Walking with him all the time. They walked with him for, for three years. All right, if we just had like one hour just to spend, what would you ask him? What would you say to him? What kind of a conversation would you have to have that kind of access? Because that's what we want. We live in a society where we want access, right? We want access to God. Now, if you read back in the Old Testament, it's the Old Covenant. They're under the Old Law. Well, the only ones that had direct access to God were who? The priests. And they did it through the temple system that was set up. Through the temple, through sacrifice, so the priests. But when Jesus came and he died on the cross, here's what happened. The Bible tells us that the veil was torn and we gained entrance and we gained access to him. That's an amazing truth. Every single one of us can go to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. Because we have total access to God. Here's what happened. When the temple and the veil was torn, we went from Blockbuster to DirecTV. Do you know what I mean by that? How many of you remember the Blockbuster days? All right, I'm really going to age myself today. The Blockbuster days were on like a day like today, a rainy day. You'd have to say, well, I don't feel like going out, but I'll go out. And then maybe the movie that you were going for wasn't there. And then the movies are a mess because people are inconsiderate. And, and they'll put this movie over here in this space. And you thought the movie was there, but then it wasn't there. And then you want to see an action movie, but she wants to watch a romantic comedy. And somewhere between the two she'll meet. But you'd have to go to Blockbuster. Now what happens is this. You could just sit on your couch. You can pretty much type the name of the movie that you want to see into your TV, and that's what we call direct TV. We want direct access. That's what we have to the sun. We have access to the sun, and yet we're still walking around lost. Why? We have access to his word, okay? So these are his directions. These are his directions. Now, let's say that the pool barbecue today, let's say it wasn't right here in walking distance. Let's say it was about five miles away from here. And let's say Pastor John said to his wife and his children, and we've got some food for this barbecue, and we're going to go have a blast, but I'm not going to read the directions. Now, Tiffany, and we've, we've had this conversation in themes and variations before, where it's like Tiffany will say, well, I, I know where it is. Do you want me to type it into the GPS? Let me type it into the phone. It'll take us right to the doorstep and in a couple of minutes. Now, how silly am I if I say, no, don't do that. I can figure this out. I'll be driving around Delray. I might drive around Boynton. I might make my, war, my way into Lake Worth, and I don't know where I'm at because I refuse to look at the GPS. You'd say, that's silly. If you have access to it, and it's right there, and you don't do anything with it. Now, here's what happens. If I do that, my wife, do you think she should get frustrated at me? Ladies, should my wife get frustrated at me? Okay, my wife will get frustrated at me. Now, the kids, they're going to miss out on some of the games. I'm getting angry because I can't find my way around. My wife's frustrated. The people at the party are missing the fellowship. Okay, so everybody's affected by the fact that I won't look at the axis. I won't look at the GPS. Does it occur to us for a moment that we have direct everybody here? Everybody here, when you go to the Father through the Son, you have direct access. And if you're struggling in your life right now, it's not just affecting you. It can affect the people around you when you have access to the Father 
and you choose not to access that. So one, if we want to unleash the power of prayer in our lives, one, we have to acknowledge God for who he is. The second thing is we have to realize that we have access and we have to utilize that access. But then here's the next thing. We also have to abide. It's not just enough to have access. It's not just to go for it when I need it and when I want it and when I'm struggling. That makes God genie. All right? A verse that we're going to study in John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But it's abiding. It's sticking with. It's staying in. You're on a long flight from here to, say, Hualeah, and you want to go to Hawaii, and, and, but you don't like flying. That's problematic, right? Because it's a long flight, all right? And every time the weather gets rough, you want to jump off the plane. No, you have to abide in the plane if you want to get to the destination. And so when we talk about abiding, it's really, really important that we abide in the Father because His Holy Spirit is in us. Now think about this. Again, the disciples had something so unique. Could you imagine just walking along the shore with Jesus, sitting around a fire with Him, just hanging out with him. He knew his disciples well. Do you think he wants any less out of the relationship with you? He wants the same out of that relationship with us. The same as if we were just walking along, talking. He wants that daily walk. That's what we're, talk- that's what, that's what we're told as Christians is that he wants that daily walk with us because he enjoys your presence. It's not what you can give him. It's not what you can do for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created everything out of nothing. What do I have to offer? There's only one thing that he wants, and that's your heart. That's the thing that we have to offer, so he wants us to abide in him. How many of you have ever seen a sunflower? Almost everybody here has seen a sunflower. Sunflowers are amazing, right? Sunflowers are amazing. Why? Because they grow toward the sun, right? When the sunflower, if the sun is rising in the east, what happens is that the sunflower starts to go that way. So it's growing because it's abiding in the sun, and so it's starting to grow towards, towards the east. But when the sunflower, when the sun is setting in the west, what happens? Well, then it kind of veers that way, but it's always growing because it's always abiding because it's always seeking the sun. The same too with us. All right, you are children of the living God. His desire is that we abide in him because he loves to spend time with us. That's my desire for my children. I'm a father. My desire is that they know that I want to spend time with them. I long for them. I desire to spend time with them. And my hope is that they desire to spend time with me. That makes for a really healthy relationship, right? So if we want to unleash the power of prayer, we need to abide in God. Because when we're abiding in God, we know what's important to God. I know when I'm thumbing through the movies. I know when I'm going up and down the TV list when, when I'm looking for something to watch at night and my wife is right next to me. If I turn on the Hatfields and the McCoys, I'm like, yes. And then I look at her and she's like, really? Again? You're going to watch that again? I know that if I look towards a Western or if I look towards an action movie a lot of the time because I know what she likes. I know what kind of music she likes in the car to listen to. Why? Because we have relationship, because we spend time with each other. It's the same with God. We start to align ourselves with God, and that brings us to the next point, and that is alignment. So the first thing was acknowledging. The second thing was accessing. The third thing was abiding. And the fourth thing is alignment. All right, here's the thing. When I'm spending time with God, 
what happens is I see what's important to him, and I have to ask myself one very important question. Is what's important to him important to me? What's important to God? It's important that this world knows his son. Has that ever been a priority in my life? Do I have a burden for people out there that if they don't know who Jesus is, if, if they don't know who he is, that they're going to go to hell? Is that a burden on your heart? Have you aligned yourself with the priorities of God? It's no secret to the church that the pastor has some back problems. All right, so if you come over my house right now, one of the things that we have invested in recently was one of those inversion tables. You ever been on one of those inversion tables? And here's what the inversion table does, okay? You sit on the inversion table, okay? And the first time you do it, it's very scary. You kind of lock your feet in, and then you lean back. And if you don't set it upright, you go flying back. Okay, you go flying back. Now, the purpose is this, is that your spine, when it's out of alignment, well, it causes all sorts of pressure and stress on the muscles and the joints and the ligaments and the discs. When your spine is out of alignment, it's not good. It causes fatigue. It causes pain. It causes headaches. It causes muscle spasms. It causes all of these things. Anybody that ha that's had back problems knows. When your spine is out of alignment, it's very troublesome. So here's what you do. You get on this table, strap your feet in, and you ease your way back, and you hang upside down. Now, if you're coming over my house, one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm establishing a collection. And some of you have made the collection already because what I'm doing is that when I'm getting you to hang upside down, then I'm taking a picture of you upside down, then I'm posting it on Facebook. Yes, I have a collection. All right? The, it's important because here's... When, when, I look at this, when I look at this inversion table, I, I was thinking of it the other day. I was sitting there the other night, and I was going through a little bit of back pain I was doing, and I'm like, here's what God does. When we're on the inversion table, what's happening is, is that it's releasing the pressure, and our spine is getting aligned, right? Our spine is getting aligned, so it's ultimately bringing, it's a little painful in the process sometimes, but what's happening is, is that there's an alignment that's happening in our spine, and it's releasing pressure, it's releasing tension, it's releasing pain, it's releasing all of these things. And I thought, you know what? And maybe you can relate to this because maybe this has happened to you. Sometimes God has to turn us upside down in order to straighten us out. Has he ever had to do that in your life where he had to turn you upside down, kind of shake everything out? And quite honestly... That's really what should happen every time we get in his word. I don't know about you, but I look at the Beatitudes. Those are what we call the should be attitudes from Matthew 5, where Jesus looks at them and he said, blessed, is the poor in, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I'm like, I'm kind of not there. Blessed are those who mourn. And what's Jesus doing? He's taking the world system, and isn't he giving it an alignment? Isn't he turning it on its head? Everybody that was in earshot of his teaching would listen to what he was saying and saying, what are they prioritizing? What are they doing? So we need an alignment. Why? Because if we take a look at our passage, it says this, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the key. The only way the Father is ever going to be glorified is if we get our priorities in line and if we have an, an, an alignment. That's when we're going to see the power of prayer unleashed in our lives. That's when we're going to see the power of prayer. It's not a matter of just saying, hey, Anything I want, I ask for in Jesus' name. Why? Because there's a lot of things that I've asked for that I've gotten. How many of you have had that happen? 
Oh, I prayed for it, Lord. Okay, John, you're going to get it. Okay, I got it. I got it. No more. No moss, please. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What happens is this, is that when I realize what's important to God, I look at the way they pray and that they acknowledge God first and they get their hearts right with God. When I take a look at uh, love is patient, love is kind, and I look at those areas and I'm struggling in that and I repent, what's happening is that I'm hanging upside down on the table and I'm getting right and I'm getting an alignment and I'm repenting of what I did wrong so I can be right with him so that I can fully access his power when I'm praying. You want to access power in your prayer? Are you praying for others? Do you have people in your life that you know don't know Jesus? And you're spending time, and what's happened is this, is that the more you fall in love with him, the more you're seeing them through his eyes. Because there's, a line, there's an alignment that's taken place. You're starting to see these people through his eyes. And something is changing in your life and something is changing in your heart. It may change the way you pray for certain people. So often somebody's name will come to mind and I don't know what to pray. You know what the Bible tells me about those moments? This is cool. That I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. It's the same Holy Spirit that you have inside of you that will show us how to pray. And that will sometimes speak in utterances that I don't even understand. Because God knows what you need better than your pastor does. And so it's about acknowledgement. It's about access. It's about abiding. It's about alignment. Let me tell you how else alignment works real quick. The Bible tells us and gives us a clear command It says, rejoice always, pray ceasingly, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Then if I'm not even doing that in my circumstance, then I'm not doing God's will. I'm out of alignment. I'm not accessing his power in my life. That's how it works. Because there are things in here that you know to do that sometimes we're not doing, and we'll miss the power in the prayer because we're not aligned with him. So there's that alignment. Number six... After there is that alignment, now we ask. Does that make sense? Now we ask because now we're getting in tune with him. We're seeing the things that are important to God. We're in alignment with him. We know that worship is important to God. So when you come to me with a struggle, the first place that I start praying is to align your worship with the Lord. That's the very first thing that I'll ask. And here's the beauty of it. Because you'll take a look and you'll say, well, how's your worship, Pastor? And I'll tell you this. Sometimes God will expose a problem that I see in somebody else's worship to make me take a look and remove the log out of my own eye because maybe my worship isn't where it needs to be. But when it is, when I see the things that are important to God, that worship is a priority to him. Telling people about Jesus is a priority to him. Widows and orphans are a priority to him. Then what happens is, is that in your prayer life, he starts revealing that to you, and now I know how to pray. Now I know what to ask for, and now... Heaven is unleashed. Do you need, do you want, do you hope for heaven unleashed in your life? It's a simple message today, and there's one last point. 
the last point. So if we talk about acknowledgement and we talk about access and we talk about abiding and we talk about alignment and then we ask according to his will. Well, the last point is anticipation. How many of you remember the old uh, Heinz commercial? I told you I was going to show my age today big time. The old Heinz commercial is Carly Simon singing in the background. There are two kids there, and they've got their delicious burgers and dogs. I did this, in, I did this on purpose today because we're going right over for burgers and dogs over there. See what I'm doing? Right? Okay, and so they've got the burgers and the dogs, and, and the one kid is trying to uh, get the ketchup out of the bottle. And in the background, you hear Carly Simon going, Anticipation anticipation and now you're just waiting and and it's like every time you're watching the commercial you're like I wish the ketchup would just come out of the bottle okay but here's the thing is that the point of the whole commercial is they're anticipating the most amazing ketchup you've ever tasted in your life real tomato right real tomato they're anticipating this and it's worth it okay you've read the bottle you've seen the ingredients you know that it's real tomatoes that they're going to be using you want what's in that bottle and that's just because you read the ingredients and someone told you about it. Well, the same holds true. This book tells us about the living God. It tells us that he's all-powerful. It tells us that he's ever-present. It tells us that he knows everything. If you're in a situation right now and you don't know what's going on, God does. If you're in a situation right now and you don't have the power to get through it, he has the strength. He has all of these things. And so when we pray, when we line ourselves up with God's will, we can pray with expectancy and anticipation because a great missionary um, said this attempt great things for God expect great things from God in other words when you get down and you pray for rain and don't do that today please please <laughs> matter of fact let's pray the opposite when you pray for rain bring an umbrella well we'll change that today we'll pray for sunshine and we'll bring our bathing suits right you want to unleash the power of God in your life? I know you do. You're in church today. Why? So that you can unleash God's power in your life. And that means we have to get right with God, right? That, it's all about getting right with God. That's the very first step. It's the very first step. I was reading this week something very interesting about a family that was on the beach and this was reported by the Panama City News Herald. It was, I guess, Saturday when Roberta Ursi noticed her sons were too far from shore at Panama City Beach, and she began screaming for help. Family members swam out to get them, but found the current too strong, leaving nine people in about 15 feet of water. The newspaper reports that people began forming a human chain, eventually reaching about 100 yards into the ocean. The Ursi family was rescued. The family was rescued because the people formed a chain from the shore to where the people were out struggling. Do you understand that that's what prayer is? When our knees hit the ground, we're touching heaven on somebody else's behalf. You might not have the finances to help somebody out. They might be far away from you, but what you can always do, what you can always do is get on your knees, and we're called to, to pray ceaselessly, 
to ask God, if this person is struggling, God, I can't do anything about this. All I can do is pray. Do you know what an insane statement that is? Have you ever said it? I guess all I can do is pray. What you've said in that moment, well, I guess all I can do is go to the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal God that has no beginning, no middle, no end. I guess that's all I can do. That's all you can do? That's the most important thing that you can do always. And that's the connection that he wants. God's desire is that none should perish, and his desire is to unleash his power in your life. And the world has yet to see a life that is fully submitted to God.